this morning we are taking a, and next week as well, taking a break from 1 John. We've been going through that book, uh, but given the season, we're going to stop. And today we're looking at Elizabeth's son, whose name was John. And next week we'll look at Mary's son, whose name was Jesus. And this is the right order because John came before Jesus. He was the forerunner. He was the one, the voice that was crying out about Jesus. So that's our plan for the next couple of weeks and uh, setting our hearts and focus and mind on Jesus who came. Uh, hope you will stay for the meal following the service. Donna Smith told me to keep it short today. No promises, but I did say if the doors were open and that smell was wafting in, it'd be easier to cut short, perhaps. Uh, but I do hope everyone stays tonight. If you've got your Bible with you, you can turn to Luke chapter 1, or if you need the one there that's in the pew back in front of you, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to read the account of... Uh, the birth of John the Baptist. Before we read it, just kind of give you the setting of what's going on here. So, John the Baptist, his parents were Zachariah and Elizabeth. And when John is born, the situation is that Zachariah has been struck dumb. I mean, he's, he's mute, can't speak. And the reason why is he struggled to get his head and his heart around the promises of God that an angel gave to him that even in his advanced age, he was going to father a child. And that Elizabeth, even in her advanced age, she was going to be the mother of a child. And he couldn't believe that. And he couldn't express belief in that. And so as a result, the angel just says, well, Zechariah, if you're not able, you don't believe that, you're not going to be able to speak until the child that God promised is born. So he can't speak. It's been a long nine months. Not able to speak. Uh, we assume he used a writing tablet to communicate. We'll see a writing tablets brought on the scene today. Uh, apparently, he had told Elizabeth, maybe through that writing tablet, about his encounter with the angel and what the angel had told because the angel said the name of the child should be John. And when the time comes, Zachariah can't speak, but Elizabeth does speak. And she will say what the child's name is. So this whole time, it's a soul-searching time for Zechariah. A uh, time of silence, a time of repentance, time of reflection. Uh, nine months to consider what does it mean to believe God's word? What's it really mean to believe God's promises? Do I believe God's promises? He's got nine months to think, think on those truths. And we find out when the moment comes, he does believe God's truths. He, he does. Unlike the first time, there's that during that nine months, there's a work of grace that goes on in Zechariah's heart. So when the moment of truth comes, there's not the slightest hesitation. 
I believe God's word. I believe the promises of God. So that's kind of the setting leading into it. So let's pick that up. Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives, relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And when he asked for a writing tablet, he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke blessings to God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Amen. So Luke, in, as he writes in his gospel here, he has investigated, he has taken eyewitness accounts, and he records these things. But the way he records it is really marvelous because it really pulls you into the story too. He's not just recording facts from history, but he records those facts, the, the interviews, the, the, the eyewitness accounts. He, the remarkable thing is he just pulls you into the story that he's telling you as well so that you have to make the same kind of judgments that the people in the text is uh, that they're making. Will you believe the word of God? Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Will you believe that God has intervened into human history for us and our salvation? The way Luke uh, words, his narratives and stories, pulls you in and makes you deal with the same situations that the people in the text are dealing with. Will you believe? So when you read Luke's account, you're not just a bystander reading uh, a, a historical narrative account. It's not just good listening. He recounts this history, but he puts us right in the middle of it so that we have to answer the same questions. Whatever's being demanded in this text, uh, whether it's response, to, uh, response and faith to the word of God or whether it's rejecting the word of God, we're forced to do the very same things that we see in this text. And so there's lots of stuff that we could uh, pull out of this passage today. Um, but I do think it's obvious where Luke is going as he gives us the story. And, and it, it ends up there in verse 66. He wants our focus and our attention to be on who is John the Baptist? Who is he? Because when you're focused on who John is, then we know what John points to. All right? John the forerunner that, that Phil mentioned earlier. 
If our focus is on who John is, then we will see what is John's role. What is God using John for? All right? So, and that's where he's going. He wants us to think long. He wants us to think hard. Who is John? The, and that's what the people around Zechariah and Elizabeth, they, they're forced by the events that take place uh, all with John's birth here. They're forced to think long and hard. Who is this child? Who is, who is John? Who is he? What's going on? What's going to come of this child? Because Luke understands, when you think about who John is, because that child, John, is going to point us to the child, Jesus. All right? Everything's leading up to Christ. All, of, all this narrative leading to Christ. Uh, that's the way, even before here, well, you see Elizabeth, how she responds when Mary goes to visit her. Elizabeth isn't all focused on herself and on her baby. She's filled with the Spirit, and she's worshiping the Lord because of the Messiah being carried in Mary's womb. Or when the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy, the focus is on Christ. We just pause there too, right? So don't buy into this is a clump of carbon. This is a baby who in the presence of the Messiah is filled with the Holy Spirit and leaps for joy. Luke focuses all the attention upon Jesus the Messiah. And so in giving this account about John the Baptist so that we understand what is God doing in this in God's plan is, is the Messiah is coming. How does God lay that out? What are the events that lead up to that? What's John's role in the Messiah coming into the world? So, three things that we see in our text. I want us to see the joy. Elizabeth's son is born and there is great joy. All right? We're, we're going to see that. We're going to see faith. Particularly in Zechariah, it's been a long nine months for, of silence for Zechariah. We're going to see Zechariah's faith. And then we're going to see what's it all focused upon. The witness of God. He, he's establishing in this passage, appointing uh, us to Jesus the Messiah. All right? So that's the three things we want to look go through today in this passage, help us understand that. So joy. Do you see the joy at the beginning of this passage? You see it in verse 47, you see it in verse 48. When the time came for Elizabeth to give birth to her child, she bore a son. Verse 58. Her neighbors, her relatives, they heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced. So there's nothing surprising in those verses. When a baby's born, there's great rejoicing, right? There's happiness, there's, there's joy in the air. Um, when women have children, friends and relatives, everybody comes. Everybody celebrates. There's rejoicing when a child comes into the world. All the more, this is a woman of advanced years. Isn't that a polite way to say that? This is an old, older lady, and she's having a baby. And there's rejoicing. Uh, so imagine never thinking they were going to have a child. 
now they've had a child. The rejoicing that naturally would come with that. God has given them a son. They have every reason to rejoice. But you notice the way Luke describes it. He doesn't just say they had a baby and everybody was happy. They celebrated. They passed out cigars. No, that's not what happens. Look what he says. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown her gr- shown great mercy to her. See the difference? It's not just she had a child, so they were happy. They rejoiced. No, no. It wasn't luck. It wasn't chance. It wasn't, uh, wow. Who could imagine an older lady like that, older man like Zachariah having a... What are the chances? What are the odds? No, no odds here. This is the Lord's doing. This is the work of God. The root of their joy, even how they describe it, is in the God's providence that God was active. God was doing something. God had done this very thing. God was in the midst of their lives and was working, and he does this. Now, Advanced age, all the more reason, right, that they should recognize God's hand in this activity, in this birth. All the more reason to recognize God was doing something. But friends, we always need to recognize that. We always need to recognize God's providence in our lives. That God is active and God is working. Whatever it is that he's, so in their case, he had provided a child. Whatever he provides in our life, we need to recognize the Lord's provision. The Lord's working, the Lord's doing. Nothing is given to us that does not come from him. Breathe deeply. That comes from him. Life, breath, all things come from him. If he doesn't give us another breath, you know what? That's it. He gives to us everything. His hand, the Father, he is a giver of good gifts. And from his hand, he gives to us. This is what James says, right? James, every good gift comes from the Father of lights in whom there is no shifting shadow. So, this holiday season, Christmas season, do not be like Jimmy Stewart. You remember Shenandoah? You remember the movie Shenandoah? Ever seen that? If you haven't, shame on you. Go see Shenandoah. But they're sitting around the table, and they're going to give thanks for the food on the table. And Jimmy Stewart prays something like this. Lord, we planted these fields, and we worked these fields, and we harvest these fields. But we thank you anyway. No, no, no. That's not biblical. It's God you have given. You have given bountifully. You have done this. Recognize that. Understand. Every good gift is given from the Lord. That's the kind of joy joy that we all ought to share in. Every believer recognizes every good gift has been given to us by the Lord whether it's the birth of a child or whatever the circumstances are in our lives, 
We have a sense, we understand that God, in his providence, he is working. This world isn't just some clock that's ticking and unwinding and we're caught up in the mechanisms. No, God is in the heavens. And he's working and he's doing. And they describe this, right? They heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. It's the Lord that's behind this. The Lord's the one who has given a son. Their joy is rooted in the fact that the Lord has done something in his goodness, his mercy, his providence, his kindness. He has done something. So we just pause. What are you rejoicing in? This is how this passage starts. So we should ask that of ourselves because this time of year, there's lots of festivities. Lots of, of, of tinsel, lots of excitement, lots of family dinners. Some of you, right, I'm not from this area, but some of you are for generations. And you're like, I got to go to grandma's on, on, on Friday night. And then on Saturday night, we're going to mama's house. And Sunday, we're going to eat at our house. And then we got to go to her mama's house. And you end up eating five and six meals. Wow. I'm envious. There's lots of holiday cheer, but there's a lot of holiday cheer that blurs out the goodness of God. Blurs it completely out of the picture. It blurs the sovereign Lord out of the picture altogether. So let your joy be rooted in God's providence, God's goodness, God's kindness, God's mercy. Every good gift that you have comes from him. Give thanks. Recognize it. Celebrate it. All right? Great joy. Now notice the faith. Here's Zechariah, verses 59 to 64. And this is a great story, isn't it? I mean, this is a, one of the, this is a great story. They've gathered together for the circumcision. Eight days. That means John's eight days old now. And it appears, right, they're going to name the child at the circumcision. I want to say that's not part of the Old Testament law. There's nothing the Old Testament says they can do that or need to do that. That just seems to be the custom at the time when they're doing this. That's the custom they're following. They're going to name the child at their, the circumcision. And so they all just assume this baby boy could be named after his daddy, Right? A lot of you are named after your fathers. I'm named after my father. Karen said, Ralph stops right here. It doesn't go any further. So none of my kids are named Ralph. But they assume Zacharias, his kids are going to be named after him, Zachariah. So you can imagine them. They, they've all got their blankets stitched with Zachariah on there. Little Zach, Zeke, or... Uh, however, whatever, little Z, junior, uh, they come with their gifts and they've got it all planned out. This is going to be the child's name. They all assume it's going to be the family name. But Elizabeth, Elizabeth has believed the angel's word from the very beginning. And Elizabeth says, no, 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 his name's not going to be Zachariah. His name's going to be John. What's their response to that? Elizabeth, nobody in your family's named John. 
You go back 20, 20, 20 generations, nobody's name's named John. You don't have any cousins named John. Your grandparents weren't named John. No one's named John in your family. Nobody on his side. No one's named John. Where are you getting this from? This isn't a family name. So they turn to Zechariah. And this is kind of even humorous, right? They start making signs. Now, what's the problem here? Zechariah can't speak. He can hear. <laughs> I do this all the time. I go to eat Mexican food. I can't communicate very well. I start trying to motion. It's not that they don't hear me. It's that they don't understand me, right? Uh, yeah, or, or another common thing, right? Someone we can't communicate with, we tend to just talk louder. We say the same thing, but we just talk louder. Well, no, no, the problem is that they can't hear. The problem is they don't understand, right? So John's problem is not that he can't hear. He can't speak. He hears perfectly fine. So they turn, and they start motioning, and, and they're trying to communicate. John, what are we going to do? And they all their hands, baby. They're trying to motion that out to him. He can hear perfectly fine. But notice he says, hey, give me something to write on. So here comes that writing tablet. And he, what's he write out? His name's John. His name's John. So all those months of silence, nine months, silent, silent because he did not believe the word of God. Now God's promise has borne fruit in his heart, and at the moment of truth, time comes to name the son. There's not a shadow of doubt in John's mind. There's not any questions left. He, he comes, he believes God's word, just like Elizabeth before him. His name's John. He, he does it. The, this is God's kindness, right? Zechariah has been through quite an ordeal. Nine months of silence. Zechariah's faith has grown during those nine months. Zechariah's faith has grown. He hasn't been able to talk, but it's, what we see is now his faith trust in the promise of God. His name is John, just like the angel said it was going to be. His name is not Zechariah. His name is John. He believes God's word. So the adversity that, that the Holy Spirit brought and bore in Zechariah's life bore good fruit. And the good fruit it bore was a faith that believes and trusts God's word. He believes he writes it out. And what happens when he writes that out? Immediately his tongue's loosed. And what's the first thing that he said, does? He praises God. He gives praise and words. He blesses God. First thing out of his mouth. So just, just think about that for just a couple minutes, right? So maybe you're wondering, as, John, as Luke brings us into the story, maybe the adversity that you've been going through in life, you struggle, and maybe you ask, what's God doing? What's God been doing? To me? What, why, God? 
What's going on here? I don't understand this. What's God doing? Why am I in this period of adversity? Why, why are these struggles here? Well, God never wastes adversity in the lives of his children. The adversity that you're facing is not accidental, but it will bear good fruit. God will use adversity and by his spirit in the lives of his children to grow us in grace. That's what happens here with Zechariah. And if that's where you are today, you're in a time of adversity and you're wondering, Lord, I wish you would just tell me what in the world is going on here. If you're God's child, I want you to understand the one thing you need not question. God is doing something. And it will be for your good, for his glory, and for your growth in grace. Okay? When you face adversity in this life, that's what's happening. Just like what happens with Zechariah. And when the time comes, Zechariah, what's his name? His name is John. There's no hesitation. First time, the angel says, hey... His name's going to be John. He, he's got all kind of questions for the angel. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on here, angel. You need to explain some things to me, angel. Hold on now. This time, what's his name? John. His faith has grown over these nine months. What has happened? Nine months of silence. Nine months of repentance. Nine months of confession. Nine months of self-examination. And God has worked and brought about in Zechariah's heart a solid faith. That's what shines forth. Joy into faith. Now look at God's witness to the coming Messiah. What's the result of all this? John is born. All these events around John's being born. What happens? Everybody's amazed. They all, they wonder. Whoa. Verse 63, they all want, there's complete amazement. Verse 65, fear, right? So this reverential awe of God, they come, it comes on all their neighbors. Or listen to verse 65 again. All these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts. Does that sound familiar? It sounds like Mary, doesn't it? She laid these things up. She treasured them up in her heart. All who heard about what happened with John, they laid it up in their hearts. They said, what then will this child be? So the result is, everybody's focused on this question. What's this child going to be? What's going to happen with this child? Who's it going to be? The Lord must have some great plans for this child because, man, look at all that's taking place in his birth. And that is precisely what God intended to do. Through, through in, in his providence, all that's unfolding in the life of Zechariah and in the life of Elizabeth and in John's birth, the focus that everybody has at the end of the day is, who's this child going to be? What's he going to do? Their focus, their attention is on this child. 
You see the, see the tension? See the focus? Are you focused now on this child? Hope so, because this child is going to put your focus on the child. Little John, not, not little Zachariah, little John, he's going to point you to the Messiah, the king of the ages. Who is this question? That's what Luke sets for us here. And in all the minds of all these people, in all the hill country around Judea, because John's preparing a way for Jesus. John is preparing this way for Jesus. John, this was God's plan. John was going to be this forerunner for Jesus. John is preparing the way for the Messiah. Even in their questions, their minds are getting ready for the Messiah. Malachi 3 that Phil read. Isaiah 40, which he referenced. Man, Isaiah 40, it's hard to read it. I keep wanting to sing Handel's Messiah as I read it, but I'll spare you from that. In the wilderness, prepare the way. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain, every hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. The rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's what John's doing. Remember, Jesus says to the disciples at Caesarea Philippi, who do people say that I am? That question, that focus, who? God is here focusing all attention, all the people in all this hill country around Judea on this question. Who, who is this child? What's this child going to do? Because this child is going to point them all to the Messiah. And he does. I mean, this is God's word. This is what's been prophesied. John, John's being born is an answer to prophecy. But it plays itself out, doesn't it? John does do that. Later on. So, jump ahead some 30 years. He's eight years old when he's named. Now, he's in the wilderness. He's by the Jordan. John chapter 1 tells us, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites to Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? There it is again. Who are you? It's still the question about John. Who are you, John? He confessed. He did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him again, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, then why are you baptizing 
If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And then you know what happens the next day? The next day, Elizabeth's son, John, sees Mary's son, Jesus. And you know what his testimony is? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's pointing people to Jesus. That's what his job is. That's, that's in God's plan. That's what his role was. Elizabeth's son says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In all of this story, Luke's unfolding it. God is, is laying forth his plan to point us to Jesus, the Messiah. He draws you in. Do you see John the Baptist? Do you see the role that John the had? the Baptist has, do you behold the Lamb of God? Do you know Christ? Have you looked upon him? Have you trusted him safely? safely? Do you know that he takes away our sin? That's where John the Baptist is pointing us to. John points us to Jesus. John points us to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So from the youngest to the oldest, look to Jesus. That's what John wants us to do. And we'll do that next week on Christmas Eve. We'll look at Mary's son together, corporately. God willing, that's where we'll be. But if you don't come back next week, you have to look now. We'll think about it next week. But right now, look to Christ. Don't get caught up in the festivities and joy and miss the sovereign goodness and work of God. You who struggle with adversity and suffering, know that God's working marvelous things in you and your faith will grow. And it it will. And look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. This week. Not just this week. Every day of your life. Look to Christ. Know him. Follow him. By God's grace. By the work of the Spirit. That we trust in him. Recognize his greatness, just like John says, one whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Imagine saying that about your cousin. Wouldn't that be a hard thing to say? I fought, I punched my cousins. That's how we got along. I can't imagine this. I can't imagine saying, my cousin, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. Jesus is great, isn't he? Trust him. Look to him. Follow him. That's where Elizabeth's son is pointing us. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word.
Thank you for pointing us to Jesus through your word. We know your word reveals who Christ is. We thank you for the Lamb of God. Thank you for speaking truth to us. We thank you for giving us promises. We thank you that your spirit gives us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe. And so, Lord, when we fail to believe your word, would you work in us that our faith would increase just like Zechariah? Cause us to grow. And I do pray, would you fill your people with great joy? That we would see your marvelous work in all things. Not, not just in this week, as good things come our way, or as, uh, we celebrate with families and marvelous things. But Lord, that your goodness is constantly known to us, and that you have given the greatest gift of all, your own son, your only begotten son, for our sakes and for our salvation. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.